This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, I'm Eric Rosenberg from Personal Profitability, and when I'm not busy hustling my tuchus off, I am stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and according to my crazy holiday calendar, it's National Macaroon Day. And to celebrate, boy, have we got a whole host of macaroons, starting with our friend of the No Debt, No Problem podcast, Mary Wheeler. Plus, from Afford Anything, Paula Pant. And from this podcast, OG. The team will answer the question, when is the right time to quit your job? Plus, in our Friday FinTech segment, there's a new exchange-traded fund on the market from ProShares. We thought we'd heard everything until we heard about this strategy. We'll also help a listener magnify their money and wash this all down with my amazing trivia. And now, the biggest macaroon on this podcast, Joe Salcihai. I don't think that word means what he thinks it means, but we're going to go with it. Hey, everybody, it's Friday, and that means we're going with the weekend, too. I'm so excited that I get to hang out with these people to help you in the weekend, (laughs) and and she's uh, previewing her her, her spot. You got to wait, Mary. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You got to wait till we call on you. I got to build the momentum to our big, exciting guest, because first, across the card table from me, it's Mr. OG. It's the end of May. Happy day. It is. It's Shall the, I say? It's it's Can we play? Boy, that is awfully What a day. Uncomfortable. That is uncomfortably bad. But you're doing well. Thank you. Yes. It's still firmly planted on terra firma today. That's, yeah. You uh have been flying planes. Allegedly. It's hard to tell how much I'm doing and how much the plane is doing. But I'm still not convinced that they don't just arbitrarily fall out of the sky. Yeah. That, Apparently they don't happen. But, that, uh, or that doesn't happen. But. That would be nerve wracking to me. Uh, let's <laughs> see if it would be nerve wracking to a friend of ours who's in Las Vegas, Nevada. Our friend Paula Pamp from Afford Anything's here. That segue is okay. But if I may, Joe, I must say, where is my pay? <laughs> Look at what I started. My apologies to everyone. Look at the time that even right. And and into this next segment we shall sashay. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. And wondering what she's doing here from the new hot podcast, No Debt No Problem. And I like what you do with that, Mary. It's our friend Mary Wheeler. 
Hey, hey, Joe, thank you for having me. I'm not going to try to rhyme because that's not my lane. So I'm just going to say, hey, guys, how y'all doing? Which is something <laughs> which is something good for the show, Mary. Somebody that knows where their lane is. Because OG, OG should have known. Paula knows that whenever we talk about Star Wars or anything. But tell everybody about the No Debt, No Problem podcast. Because I like this. You got to play on words going on here. It's K-N-O-W, No Debt, No Problem. Absolutely. No debt, no problem. And basically, the more you know about debt, you won't have any problems. So essentially what I talk about on that podcast is ways to eliminate debt, ways to, after you eliminate debt, build and maintain wealth. So those are some of the keys. I mean, I have topics from debt payoff stories to early retirement stories to real estate investing and so much more. So ways to create side hustles. Now, does your personal story involve uh, debt and paying off debt as well? Absolutely. I paid off $30,000 in 96 days. Holy cow. How did you, you know, we that's a whole podcast episode by its own, but, but briefly, was it earn more or save better? Actually, it was a mix, but ultimately it came down to earning more and uh, sacrifice. So I did overtime for about 60 days and, and I was working about 14 hours a day. So definitely in the trenches, mm. no personal life, but hey, I'm debt free and it's been about three years. That is Awesome. That's a really cool story. You must have been super busy those 90 days, I would imagine, trying to pay off all that debt. Uh, Yeah, I definitely was. I was pretty much surviving off of Pedialyte to give me some energy because <laughs> um, I was a zombie. But I did use $10,000 that I had saved up to help me uh, jumpstart that process. And the other 20000 came from my overtime opportunity. So lots of sacrifice, but at the end of the day, it was all worth it. But just Pedialyte, how was your health during that time? <laughs> uh, well, the Pedialyte was kind of serving as, uh, I guess, my, you know how Popeye has his spinach? Uh, <laughs> that was that was my spinach. It's, it's safe enough for babies. <laughs> <laughs> safe enough for babies, good enough for us, right? That's right. That's right. Um, well, but yeah, I, I, I had to kind of cut back on eating out and things like that. So just making some small changes uh, for big results. Well, your health is important, Mary. And we worry about you. And that's why we're thanking MetPro for supporting Stacking Benjamins for a complimentary metabolic profiling assessment and a 30-minute consultation with a MetPro expert about your health. Go to metpro.co slash SB. See, you could use that, Mary, and it wouldn't be all Pedialyte all the time and you'd feel healthy. Hey, I need to get some of that. So I'm, I'm going to take note of that. And I am a uh, West Michigan farm boy at heart. And that's why today's also brought to you by Acre Trader. Thanks to them for supporting Stacking Benjamins. For information on how to become a farmland investor through Acre Trader, visit acretrader.com forward slash SB. We got a great show. We got Mary Wheeler here. We got Paula. We got OG. We got a great headline about quitting your job. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our headline today comes to us from Enemy of Debt. It has been, by the way, a long time since I've referenced Enemy. I used to reference this site all the time, Paula. I remember Enemy of Debt was like part of my usual places to go. And then all of a sudden I saw Travis has written something new mm -hmm. and I went, Enemy of Debt, it's about time we're back here. Yeah, I was thinking that too when you sent me the article. I was thinking, well, Enemy of Debt, I haven't heard that name in a long time. I know. Is it 2015 again? <laughs> yes, seriously. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm glad they're still going. I'm glad they're still publishing. Yeah, and I absolutely love Travis. Travis wrote this piece called, I Want My Daughter to Quit Her Job. Well, that was the fact that Travis wrote it and the fact that 
I found that interesting. Why would you want your daughter to quit her job? I clicked and it was really good stuff. So we'll jump into it. Uh, He writes, my daughter, a junior in high school, has a fantastic part-time job as a food runner blocks away from our house. They work with the students to ensure they get the time off they need for school activities and family functions. Many of her friends work there as well. She earns $10 an hour, but after tips, it's closer to 20. This all sounds great, but she wants to quit and I support her 100%. Let me, before we go into this further, Paula, I got to this point and I'm thinking, why do you quit a $20 an hour job when you're a high schooler? Exactly. I was thinking that too. Like not to sound like an old person, but $20 an hour in high school when I was her age. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, geez. Thank you. I'll take that right now. I know. How do we get that job? Is there a well, good thing that she's quitting because I'm, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. Mary, uh, <laughs> did you have any bad high school jobs? Actually, I, I didn't even work in high school. I didn't work until like the summer of my senior year. So I was selling shoes. So I was just kind of cruising. To selling <laughs> shoes, was that a commission job? That was a commission job. It was terrible, horrible. I was just thinking, <laughs> how much money would you make selling shoes? I would probably make $500 every two weeks. Oh, based on how many, got an hourly rate for us? Any idea? I was probably maybe like six twenty-five or yeah, something yeah. around there. Yeah, Paula, I know yeah. you must have had bad jobs in high school. Oh yeah. So my first job was at a McDonald's, and then I worked for a while at an amusement park. I was a carny. I was the person who yelled into the microphone like, "Step right up! There's a winner every time. Step right up! Just two dollars to play." And now she does the same <laughs> thing on afford carny. anything. And I still yell into a microphone. (laughs) The more things change, the more they stay the same. And by the way, Mary, if you do really well today, you'll get a stuffed animal for your appearance. Perfect. I love it. Shoot that to Houston first class. OG, how about you? Bad job in high school? Oh, my goodness. I did a little bit of everything. Before I was in high school, I was a paper boy for four years. And then uh, once I got to the age of uh, not being able to do that, but then having to have another job, I managed to stay out of the fast food business, but I, I was in restaurants. So I got this wonderful job at this wonderful place that everybody knows of. And I washed the dishes and it was the worst thing imaginable because washing dishes in the back room of a gigantic restaurant slash hotel complex is very mind numbing. But then I also did um, a little bit of busboy work and waiter and that sort of thing. So, so let's go over why. Travis would tell his daughter or his daughter would want to to quit her job. He writes, my daughter's taking a class in which she learns the skills preparing for the certified nursing assistant exam. She's almost completed the course and has her exam scheduled for May 13th after hopefully she passed. If she, if she, if she passes, uh, she wants to get a job as a certified nursing assistant at an assisted living center near our house with an hourly wage of around $15. So she's going to earn less as a certified nursing assistant, so far I still don't get it. Then Travis goes into the magic sauce, which Paula, starting with you, mm-hmm. is uh, what's the magic here? Do you agree, by Up- the way? It's upward mobility. So his point is that even though she will initially be making less, she has the potential to eventually climb the ranks and make more with this other job. Whereas at her current job as a food runner, that's it. She's at the ceiling. This is as much as she can make at this job. So um, he describes it as switching into a lower income temporarily so that you can have the potential to make more eventually. Do you buy that, Mary? 
Uh, yeah, I, absolutely. I've done it myself. Sometimes you have to take a step back or, you know, move laterally in order to propel forward. I definitely think a short term sacrifice is as long as she's out there getting in the trenches, working hard, standing out, being in the spotlight, uh, taking on extra tasks when she can. I think that will definitely play to her favor in the end. But the hard thing is, you know, Mary, is that people get stuck with this job. And I know there's going to be people listening to this nodding their head. It pays a higher wage than what they want to go into. They built their whole lifestyle around the higher paying job and they feel like they're trapped. Yeah, but I think it's important to have clear and concise goals and to be able to keep your eyes on the on the end goal. Yeah, maybe you are making more money here now, but ultimately, what do you want to be doing within the next five years? So uh, I think taking everything into consideration and not just one piece of the pie. Yeah. Uh, OG, when you've got a client who's in this situation, do you tell them to take the lower lower wage job here? This is really interesting. I, you know, I, did, I didn't think about it in the context of changing careers from one to the other, although certainly that's what she's doing here. If you can see a clear path to more alignment with what you want to do for work or and or better income down the line, then of course it makes sense to kind of take a step back. But you have to, if you're mid-career and you do this, you have to plan for this a little bit differently than you're, than if you're a high school student. If you're mid-career and you know you're going to take a pay cut, you have to start living on that pay cut now and figure out like, how are you going to be able to do that? Because if you don't, you end up with big giant credit card bills or you know, this might be the same thing as going back to school and getting a graduate degree or something. You end up with a huge student loan and then all of a sudden you're supposed to get this $50,000 a year pay raise for having this great new job and then it doesn't materialize. And now you're stuck with, you know, in that example, student loans. In this particular case, I'm kind of curious why she wouldn't want to have both jobs, frankly. Yeah, I mean, this is 2019 and uh, with so many side hustles. So, you know, she could probably take a few hours and still run food as well. But she's still in school. I mean, at some point, if she's looking at going to school more in this area, she probably needs time for classes, I would think. Yeah, but school is, what, 15 hours a week? Maybe another 15 for studying time? So you're at 30 hours a week for school? I mean, 132 hours left. Oh, geez, so hardcore. Why don't you just do <laughs> no, it all? I mean, like, look at it from the perspective. She's I mean, going to need some Pedialyte. Yeah, that's right. I mean... <laughs> Travis already says that they're really flexible with the work hours. So why not, you know, why not do this job that's 15 bucks an hour and then find, you know, five hours a week that you can do this other job and there's your spending money for the week. You know, you made another hundred bucks and you, you know, you can run your life on the 15 and have fun with the other stuff. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do it. So I don't know. I, I don't like the idea of quitting one and going the other, but let's put this Paula in terms of financial independence. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read this thing, Travis, right? She likes her job as a food runner, but she doesn't love it. So she's got a job she likes, but she doesn't love. She loved her clinical experience as a nursing assistant. One has to do something to earn money. It might as well be something you love. But if the higher paying job gets you to financial independence quicker, do you bet on the future and take that one that gets you there quicker because you like it and not love it for the ultimate thing that you love being financially independent? Or do you make the switch now knowing that there's no such thing as tomorrow? I would make the switch now because a lot of people tend to see, they view financial independence as this extremely binary, like I have to hit a particular number and that's it. I don't view it that way. I see it as a series of stages or a series of Degrees, but degrees meaning on a circle, not like educational degrees. Basically, each stage of financial independence as you move along the spectrum gives you greater and greater autonomy over your life. 
And so if you are in a position in which you have the ability to move from a higher paying job that you dislike to a lower paying job that you love, then having the ability to do so, in my view, is a degree of at least a limited version of financial independence. And if you have that, then exercise it. Yeah. Are you on board you know. with are you on board with that, Mary? Yeah. You know, I think that the fact that she's young is such a key thing to, I guess, recognize because um, it's not all just about money. I mean, you think financial independence is just about money, which it that is a big part of it. But you need to be wealthy as well, meaning like your state of being like if you're going to be doing this every day, it needs to be something that you love, something that you enjoy. Otherwise, you know, it'll just be a dread to show up to work every day. But um, nevertheless, I think that because she's young, she does have like that time on her side to go ahead and take a step back and do what she loves until she is able to make that transition upwards. Travis's advice to his daughters is don't quit one job until you have another. He says she can't just assume she's going to get a job and quit her current position as a food runner. I advise her to apply for CNA jobs, but she cannot quit her current job until she's been offered a new one. OG, you on board with that for people listening? Wait till you get oh, the new one to quit. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you can't uh, can't bet on one horse, as we saw in the uh, Kentucky Derby. Mm-hmm. You can you can end up losing even if you won. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at you, Doug. <laughs> Maybe. But Paula, you've seen, I think you've done that before, haven't you? Just quit a job with no real plan? Yeah, I totally did that. Although I'd, my quote unquote plan was that I had enough savings that I knew that I could live on those savings for, uh, in my case, it was for two years, which is extreme. Most people don't need that much. But I had enough savings that I knew that I had two years of runway to figure it out. So you would rewrite this to be don't quit your job until you have resources to have time to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If you don't have resources, then you must stick in one job until you can move to a different one, right? If you have a gap in between, if you imagine it as like if you're renting various apartments, you can't move out of your apartment until you have a different apartment to move into because then you wouldn't have anywhere to live in the interim. So the same is true with jobs, but the whole equation changes if you have some alternate resource. So in the apartment example, if you have friends or family that you could crash with during that two-week gap in between apartments, okay, fine. Then you've got an alternate resource. And same thing with jobs. If you have some savings that you can live on, cool. And there's where the emergency fund comes in. I'm wondering, Mary, if while you were paying your debt, if you kept an emergency fund aside or if you just put it all toward the debt. Absolutely. I had to keep the emergency fund because unfortunately for me, I didn't have anybody to use as an emergency in the event that I ran out of money. So definitely uh, a cushion that makes you feel comfortable. Most people say three to six months, um, but, you know, whatever makes you feel comfortable and whole uh, and secure throughout that process. So, yeah, I'm definitely all on board 100% for emergency funds. Was yours on the higher end of that or on the lower end? Did you feel secure with less or did you want a nice, nice big fund? So my emergency fund was initially 15 and then I used 10,000 of that. Like once I got to the very end, I used 10,000 and just knocked my debt out. I would say if I'm going to dip in my emergency fund, at least I'm going to be debt free. So I still have $5,000 left to just kind of hang out until I rebuild it back up. But I like this idea, OG, of what Mary did. She didn't do it on the front end where she still mm-hmm. had all the payments. Now she has all this additional cash flow. That's I right. think that's a great strategy doing that on the back end. 
right at the very end. Well, it's just like when we talk about paying off your mortgage, one of the ways is to put extra on your mortgage every single month. And that's a perfectly fine way to do it. One way is to refinance and get a 15-year mortgage instead of 30. Also perfectly fine. Another way is to just figure out what those payments are and when you want to be debt when you want that mortgage paid off or when you want to be debt free, save the difference. And then when you accumulate enough money, you say, Oh, well, I've got forty thousand in my investment, my house down payment or my house. I got forty thousand dollars in my house payoff account, and the balance is forty thousand. Boom, I hit it and I'm done then you don't ever have to worry about running into that issue of, well, I put all this extra on my house. Oh, crap, now I have an emergency. How do I rectify that? Yeah, you've kept the money liquid. Last piece of advice here that Travis, and this is so him, uh, knowing this guy, he says, leave gracefully, never burn bridges when you leave a job. No one ever knows when they might need a good reference or return to a previous job field. Mary, back to you. Did you go out with a scorched earth policy or did you follow Travis's advice? (laughs) You know, I think those last two weeks are the most detrimental, the most microscopic weeks of your career. So nobody you've been in that job, you know, two years, five years, 10 years, everybody's watching you those last two weeks to see, number one, if you're going to show up, uh, you know, are you going to be lackadaisical, things like that. So just go to work, keep that motivation going. Definitely don't burn bridges because you never know. I mean, life is full circle. So just just do the right thing. Well, that's disappointing. That's that's not as fun as I was hoping for. Paula, you must have had a scorched earth policy. No, no. I uh, did not burn bridges at my job at the newspaper before I quit it or at any of my other jobs. That was my only real professional job. But any of my jobs before that, yeah, just always left on a good note. There is, however, a really great clip of Homer Simpson driving across a bridge, <laughs> lighting a match, and then literally burning the bridge behind him. <laughs> that's so awesome. There's so many great Simpsons references. I think we'll leave it on that with us. Oh, I don't get to talk whether or not I burn any bridges. Come on, man. (laughs) We, we know, we know you burn bridges. I brought kerosene, jet fuel, (laughs) gasoline, everything that was on fire. Torches, the whole deal. Dragons. Yeah. Anything, anything that had fire related to it. Yeah. I wasn't going to go down that road for that very reason. (laughs) Well, guys, before we get to our takeaways, a great time for anybody to quit their job. You like that segue? Is is when you have enough passive income coming in and a place that uh, we like, and thanks to them for sponsoring the show, is AcreTrader. AcreTrader is an investment platform that makes it easy to own shares of farmland and earn passive income starting with as little as $1,000. Now, here's the deal. You have to be an accredited investor now to do that. We talked a few weeks ago to Carter Malloy from AcreTrader, and they're working on other programs. So stay tuned for that if you're not yet an accredited investor. But here's how it works. It starts with as little as a thousand bucks. They make it really transparent and they handle all the aspects of administration, property management, the insurance, the accounting. They work with local farmers to keep the soil sustainable. Say that three times fast. What I really like about acre trader myself being a guy from the country in southwest michigan i worked in cornfields you do you do not want to be in the farming business unless you know what you're doing but owning farmland is really really simple you own the land just like a rental property you have a tenant that's the farmer the farmer pays you before the crops go in every year and as long as the farmer keeps coming back for more and that field is adequately maintained which is acre traders job then guess what you get a check every year 
If you go to AcreTrader.com, you can check out the returns. This is not get-rich-quick stuff. And the other thing you need to know is that you also, just like any purchase a property, have your money in something that's not liquid right away. There's a liquidity plan. Go back once again, listen to the interview a couple weeks ago with Carter, where he talks about how that works much more thoroughly, or just go to their site and you'll see how that works. But invest a piece of your portfolio for boring, systematic, and I say boring because I love it boring, boring, systematic returns in farmland. Farmland investments have historically low volatility. There's almost no correlation to the stock market, and it's a hedge against inflation, which makes it an appealing asset, especially when you're comparing it to things like gold, Mr. Penzo. <laughs> with, with AcreTrader, you could invest in U.S. farmland under five minutes. Don't do it in less than five minutes. Go check out the site. Do your due diligence ahead of time. Don't just take my word for it with this or any investment. These guys, though, know dirt. They know farming. They know finance. And they're ready to make it all work together for you. Very happy to have AcreTrader on board. For more information on how to become a farmland investor through AcreTrader, visit AcreTrader.com forward slash SB. That's AcreTrader.com forward slash SB. Uh, let's do our takeaways and we'll let our guest Mary have the last word. Paula, what's our takeaway from this piece? Well, clearly don't hire OG for anything. <laughs> Number one. Ouch. Particularly any civil engineering jobs. Right. <laughs> and the other takeaway, Paula? Uh, I would say preserve your flexibility. If you've got some cash, if you've got some some options, then you've got the flexibility to switch to a different job, maybe switch to a lower paying job that's more fun or more meaningful or has more opportunity for advancement. And the other other takeaway is that it's not about what you're making now. It's about what you could be making in the future. So assuming that you enjoy a particular job or business or side hustle, assuming that you enjoy the work itself, don't worry that much about what you're making initially. Think about what you could be making in five years. OG? Jeez, Paula took all the good ones again, like always. <laughs> uh, no, I would just add to that. I don't see the reason why you can't do a little bit of both, but to echo what Paula said, I, I really think that having the flexibility built into your life and, and you need that flexibility when you need it, it's not good enough to go, oh, darn, I need flexibility today. You should be planning on that flexibility and that that uh, buffer, so to speak, from day one. And it gives you the flexibility to change jobs or accept better terms or pass on an offer You know, that's maybe not the exact right fit. I think there's a lot of pressure to always do something as opposed to necessarily waiting for the thing that's right. So having the flexibility is important, like Paula said, but uh, but you got to start thinking about that kind of right away, day one. Mary, you've got the last word. Yeah, what I would say is the first thing will be to evaluate your options, um, especially, you know, being so young. She's only a junior in high school. So definitely evaluate your options and consider your piece. I think that's valuable as well. Then the second thing I would say is to definitely position an emergency fund. So something that you will feel comfortable with is no specific dollar amount, just whatever makes you feel comfortable. And then lastly, what I would say is just do not burn bridges, you know, just do right. So a couple of weeks ago, I hear about this new exchange traded fund that has hit the market. And 
There's exchange traded funds for everything now. And most of the time you kind of roll your eyes and this one initially rolled my eyes until two things caught my interest. Number one is it's released by ProShares. And if you know anything about ProShares, they generally appeal to traders and professionals. I mean, that's where the name ProShares come from. Second, Simeon Hyman, who's their global investment strategist, had a great workup of this particular industry. What industry you're asking? How about pet care? A brand new ETF on the market about pet care of all things. So I went from eye roll to mm, interested to, you know what, this is quirky enough and compelling enough that we have to see if we can talk to Simeon. And luckily, he's upstairs talking to mom coming down to the basement right now. So here to talk about brand new ticker symbol, of course, P-A-W-Z, the first pet care ETF, Simeon Hyman. And coming down the stairs to the basement, the head of investment strategies at ProShares, our new friend, Simeon Hyman. How are you, man? Very good. Thanks for having me. Well, I see you all over CNBC and elsewhere. It's good to finally have you in the basement. Well, I got to get up really early for that, so I'm glad this was not 6 o'clock in the morning. That's, we, we, Mom does not operate at 6 a.m. That's the great thing about my change in career to becoming a podcaster. So I want to start here, Simeon. You guys aren't really known for this type of an ETF. So I'm just imagining at ProShares, you guys sitting around the table one day and somebody says, you notice how much the price of cat food's gone up? And somebody goes, wait a minute. That might be an idea. Is, is, is that the genesis of this fund? To some extent, it is. I mean, that's from an idea generation standpoint. The theme or the trend is compelling. More than two-thirds of people in the U.S. have pets. That's more than half children. You know, the top line of the industry has grown dramatically, even through the Great Recession. So those things kind of catch your attention. But catching your attention is only the first part of it. Then you kind of got to think if there's a real investment case. And by the way, when you say dramatically, give us the case there, because when you look at numbers, this area of the market is just incredible. Yeah. As an example, the global industry was about $132 billion in 2016, and it should rack up to north of $200 billion by 2025. So it's very nice growth, but again, also very steady growth. And it comes from a number of places. Everybody knows that people treat their pets like children and the escalating expenditures that folks have not only on premium things, premium food, premium everything, but also, of course, health care as well. You know, people getting knee replacements for their dogs and cats and all all those things come together to make a vibrant emerging global trend that indeed we do think has a significant uh, investment merit as well. How do you guys make a product out of that then? Tell me about packaging that up and turning it into an ETF. Yeah, so now we have to think about how we put this together. The ETF structure is is a great form for a trend investment like a pet care ETF because as long as you get the right stocks in there, it's very transparent, low fee efficient structure. But of course, you got to get the right companies in there. And we put a lot of thought into this. And you know, we're we are covering the waterfront, if you will, of the pet care industry, including companies that are in the pet health business, the pet food business, and the pet supply business. Uh, a couple of examples like Zoetis is a pet health company. 
happens to be headquartered in my home state of New Jersey, Fresh Pet, many people uh, have heard of, which is in the pet food business, uh, Zoo Plus, which is the pet supply store business. So we identify those companies that are in the important pieces of the pet care industry. And then we just have to think about structure here a little bit. And the trick here for us was you want the theme, the trend to be appropriately represented. In other words, you just don't want a bunch of companies that have these you know, tiny little pet care businesses, but they're really huge conglomerates. You want this to really be the purest expression that you can. And so in our ETF, most of the companies are what you would call pure plays. They are only in uh, the pet care business. But we also know that there are some conglomerates that you know, are in the space that are important, you know, as an example you know, like a Smuckers or a Nestle. And we did want them represented just because their pet businesses are so big, but we had them be a minority piece of the puzzle so that we don't dilute the focus. So there was a little bit of science and art. Uh, we partnered with FactSet on that. And then when we put the rules in place, we don't change them every day. Those are a set of rules and we follow the index and the, the FactSet Pet Care Index. So once those rules are in place, they're in place and you go from there. Well, how big then is the biggest uh, percentage in the portfolio, the biggest name? Yeah, the biggest uh, holding right now is Central Garden and Pet, which is about 10%. Also, Dectra and Ijex are also about 10%. So it's pretty darn well diversified. Uh, you know, there's nothing uh, north of 10% or so in the portfolio. How many How many different names do you have total, Simeon, in the portfolio? Uh, we have over 20 names in the portfolio. So again, for a for a thematic trend ETF, it felt about right for us. You know, it's concentrated. You know, this is not a core holding. This is an important satellite that you would have in your portfolio, say, alongside your U.S. large cap vehicle, whichever that you had. But it does, con- in a concentrated way, reflect the pet care landscape, but diversified enough to be uh, an appropriately measured way and, and broad, broadly diversified way to capture the opportunity. How do names exit the portfolio? How do you filter uh, names out? Is that proprietary how that works or is that, can you tell us? In fact, the the rules of the index are super transparent. And in fact, they're listed on the ETF's fact sheet. So uh, it's just kind of an opt-in. If you qualify for the rules, you're in the portfolio. And, you know, the key rules are you're either a company that is in one of the defined slices of the uh, pet care industry pet health, pet food, pet supplies, or you have a business unit that generates at least $1 billion in revenue from a pet care business. That's how we get a few of those conglomerates in there just to make sure that uh, they're represented because a couple of them have pretty big pet care businesses. So you're in, you're in by rule and you can always look up the rules. And by the way, it's also an ETF. So it's super transparent. So any day you can go to ProShare's website, and you can actually see the holdings every day. Yeah, and we'll actually link to the sheet on our show notes page and the page on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. I had a client back when I was a financial planner, Simeon, who was a uh, veterinarian, and she told me that during downturns in the economy, that people would vote the pet off the island first. Like her business would struggle when the economy struggled, which brings up this question. How do you see an ETF like this ETF weathering a downturn in the economy? Yeah, that's kind of interesting because we do know that in the Great Recession, pet care spending absolutely increased. So that's oh. so from a from a so I, the anecdote aside, the story aside, we know that from a big picture, the industry actually grew even in the Great Recession. And one of the other things 
that uh, I noticed because I actually I don't have a pet. That makes me the skeptic. I'm the, the, the I think I'm the only person in the office that doesn't have a pet. And, yeah, I wanted to dig a little bit into the fundamentals as well, because you can have a, a fast growing industry. But if the companies aren't making money, it's not compelling. And if you take as an example, pet pharmaceuticals, pet healthcare. The margins are pretty decent there. It costs less, of course, to, as you might expect, to bring a pet drug to market. But also, once you get there, some of the cost pressures that are in human pharmaceuticals aren't there. You don't have the generic pressure. You don't have the third-party uh, payers. At least as of yet, we don't have Medicaid for dogs. So <laughs> the margins can hold up You know, once you get those uh, products into the marketplace, and they tend to be sticky. Fees on the fund, by the way. People are screaming at their device right now asking me to ask that question. So the fees on the fund are 50 basis points. Awesome. And uh, probably the most hard-hitting question you're going to get all day from anybody. Whose idea was it to make the ticker symbol P-A-W-Z? You know, I actually don't remember who won that contest, but you are fishing around in the right place. We have contests in-house. Do you? So somebody somebody probably got a couple of Starbucks gift cards or something <laughs> for coming up with that ticker. Because look... In emerging trend ETFs like this, the ticker is important, and we think we got that one right, too. So a little icing on the cake, uh, PAWZ is uh, is a good one for this ETF. Thank you very much. I would be remiss if I have your attention here for just a second to not ask you a much, much broader question, which is, you know, we've seen over and over and over the media calling the death knell of this economy and that things are going to turn. I mean, we've joked about it for the past three years on the podcast that it's article after article after article that the end is nigh it's coming you you see it more you've got a more front row seat to me than i do tell me what you guys are thinking about this economy and where we're at in it yeah I, it, it certainly strikes uh, strikes us that there can be a little bit longer of at least a modest expansion you know folks point to the length of this expansion from the great recession but of course the two things that make this time potentially a little different are number one the depth of that Great Recession. And number two, the muted growth out of it. Look, there's no inflation happening. That is the thing that typically ends a business cycle is uh, rising inflation and constrained capacity. So uh, I have a feeling that people who've taken some of these jobs that weren't their first choice, which has driven down the unemployment numbers, are actually available to uh, switch, switch into some more productive roles. So there's some hidden capacity in the economy. There's low inflation. And therefore, we just had 3.2% GDP print. A little bit of room for this to continue in a modest way, in a modest way for a little bit longer. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that because we're 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 all we're also as you know nobody has a crystal ball, Simeon, but we always uh, want to know what the heck's going on. And by the way, once again, with the pet care ETF, we'll have the fact sheet and the page on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Simeon, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes and talking pet care with us. Thanks so much. Take care. Hey there, trivia fans. Turns out I thought macaroon was just another derogatory term to put in my quiver that I could use to call these weirdos in the basement. But as it turns out, Joe's mom informed me that National Macaroon Day is this day where we celebrate these these cookie things. Macaroons are like they're like cookies. Cookies. Who who knew? Well, I guess that's good news. But we should also note that it is National No Tobacco Day. While here in the basement, we fully support smoking things like brisket or ribs. 
yeah, brisket or ribs. Smoking your lungs is definitely something we want you to stop doing. So here's today's trivia question. While people aren't smoking as many traditional cigarettes, e-cigarette sales have skyrocketed. One company, Jewel Labs, why do they put so many U's in there? Jewel Labs, pretty sure that's how you say it. Jewel Labs made over $1 billion last year alone. It's almost as much as me. But here's a question. What percentage did revenue increase by at Jewel Labs between 2016 and 2017? I'll be back with the answer after I go try to convince Joe's mom that maybe some brisket would be awesome tonight. All right, we gave Mary a quick run through of these very convoluted rules. Do you understand the rules? Got it. Got the rules. So uh, Paula Mm -hmm. has a big win last week to close the gap. And now she's got four points. Mary, you're playing on behalf of Len. You've got six and OG has six. The field is tightening. I'm getting goosebumps. But Paula, even though you had the big win last week, you still get to go. Well, you still get to decide. Do you want to go first in the middle or last? I will guess last, Joe. Ah, That is strange. Mary, do you want to go in the middle or first? I will go first. You will go first. And OG, that puts you in the middle. So Mary, on behalf of Len, between 2016 and 2017, Jewel Labs, J-U-U-L, I don't think Doug has any clue, (laughs) Uh, big maker of e-cigarettes, between 2016 and 2017, how much did sales grow? Did revenue grow? 27. 27%, Mary says. And that means, OG, you are next. 16 to 17. So we are in 19. 18 was a big year. 17. I feel it was getting sort of popular in 17 to do whatever the hell Jewel does. But I can tell you what they do. They make e-cigarettes. So they make the device and a lot of the time they look like little USB, uh, little Hmm. USB things. Yeah. You would know. Um, so see 27 just seems high. So I'm going to dial that back and I'm going to say just a paltry 7%. 7% for OG. Oh boy. Oh, this is difficult. All right. So, so do you think a, it was nothing or do you think it was a lot? Those are your two choices, basically. Well, really, I've got three choices. So it's <laughs> do I believe that the range would be, do I believe it was less than 7%? Do I believe it was between 7% to 27%? Or do I believe it was greater than 27%? I don't think it was a single digit number, which puts me in one of the other two categories. It was revenue growth, huh? Yeah, sales. Specifically, it was sales. Sales growth. All right. So so cigarettes declined, but e-cigs went up, and this was the big manufacturer of them. Hmm. Oh, man, this is hard. Okay, um, I'm going to follow my gut, and I'm going to believe that it was, should I? (laughs) Joe, why do you do this to me? All right. Mary had no idea that this was so intense. (laughs) She's like 27. (laughs) We're like, and then we're both like, okay, hold on. Let me think about this. (laughs) 
I'm going to go big. I'm going to say 28%, which gives me the entire map of greater than 27. And Mary, you just got Chelsea Brennan, <laughs> which, which, which Mary's like, I don't know what that means, but uh, go back and listen to the show. You just got cut off. As long as it's between 27 and 27, you're going to win. So okay. on that note, we are going to give you the answer, but like any self-respecting podcast, we're going to make you wait for it. So we'll be right back here in a second. Whether you're somebody who leads people or you want to be more productive yourself or lead people, you know, it's not just about the number of hours in the day. Good work is about productivity. I was just reading our namesake, Ben Franklin's 13 life traits. We're going to put those in the stacker and taking care of yourself is a huge part of what made Ben Franklin so productive during his lifetime. Well, to be productive, while you might think it's about spreadsheets and to-do lists, it's actually about health and wellness. It's not fundamentally about what to eat or how to train, although those are very important pieces. MetPro focuses on time management, just like our friend Ben Franklin, working smarter, just like Ben Franklin, and establishing a game plan specific to your goals and your lifestyle needs. MetPro has a unique and important point of view on what true net worth means, their experience helping CEOs and industry leaders, people like OG, meet unique challenges, provides them with remarkable insight for anybody wanting to see a greater return on investment in their life. So they have a team of experts who guide you through personalized nutrition and fitness strategies. This is not a one-size-fits-all program. This is very specialized. It's called MetPro because everybody has a different metabolism. And the first thing they do is measure how your body responds to macro and micro adjustments to your fitness, nutrition, and daily routine by putting you through some initial ideas and then measuring. And along the way, they're educating you about how your body's responding so that not only do they know, you know, then in the future, what really gives your body a kick and what's a waste of time. MetPro's proprietary science, technology, and techniques have helped thousands of executives and business leaders learn to optimally manage their health and achieve their associated performance goals, regardless of extensive travel and demanding schedules. Your metabolism is constantly changing and adapting. So without identifying a starting point, it's hard to determine the right strategy. So they use metabolic profiling to test how your body responds. For a complimentary metabolic profiling assessment and a 30-minute consultation with a MetPro expert, go to metpro.co forward slash SB. That's metpro.co forward slash SB. OG, you took the low road, 7%. What do you think? Was that just to bring Paula down? Well, I don't know. I just, it's going to be a big number probably actually now that I think about it, but uh, it just doesn't seem like it was that popular in 16 to 17. And maybe the big growth happened in 17, 18, 19. I don't know. Who, 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 who freaking knows? I don't know. Paula, how big you think this number really is if you're thinking big? Oh, you know, I don't know. I mean, really, I, I was thinking in terms of just categories. Do I think it's between 7 to 27 or do I think it's greater than 27? You know, if it's too big, if that number is too big, then more competitors would flood into the market, thus bringing sales for each respective company down. But if the number is too small, I don't know. I just don't think 
I don't know. It, it is, this was a hard one. Mary, you ever uh, read the old uh, baseball book, The Day Casey Struck Out? I have not. About it was, it starts off with it was a really bad day in Mudville. It, <laughs> <laughs> how do you feel about hitting 27% straight on? Was that was that right? I I I don't know if you're right. Doug is about oh, okay. to Doug is about to tell us. Uh, well, I think I'm really confident in that answer. There, that's that. See, that's it. Those are the type of guests we like here. All right, Doug. Let's see who our winner is. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and Joe's mom showed me a picture of one of those macaroon things. Man, they look pretty darn good. All kinds of flavors and colors and textures. Well, anyway, here's something with a little bit of an ugly texture. Jewel Labs, who makes Jewelie cigarettes, increased sales by what percentage between 2016 and 2017? If you said they went from 2.2 million units sold in 2016 to 16.2 million devices sold in 2017, you would have been correct. You also would have been Googling it on your phone. Meaning, if you thought about that giant increase in terms that we use all the time and I just calculate in my head like nothing, that would mean a 641% increase in sales. Holy cow. Imagine if we increase sales on healthy foods by that much. Or heck even macaroons ah what a colorful world we live in huh i was so close (laughs) (laughs) wrong end of that barbell huh (laughs) i could not believe it when our producer richie gave us that number 600 percent See, I guess that makes sense. I mean, it was either going to be one of those. It, it was going to be two extremes, right? It was going to be either they didn't really take golf and they were struggling on the edge of bankruptcy or that's the year they turned into gazillionaires. So good day. Good day, though, to start to go tobacco free. What do you think? Hard pass. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just thrilled that now that that puts me at five points, which means I'm only trailing the rest of the board by one point. That's right. It's the one reason people will come back next week, Paula. What what I have learned is that I am Chelsea Brennaning every answer from (laughs) now on. (laughs) Don't worry. The second half of the year is coming. And if we're tied, I will be much more ruthless. Oh, this game is about to get super competitive. I hear that, Paula. Winter is coming. Winter is coming. Oh, gee, just I'm ready for the battle. Hey guys, let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to you courtesy of magnifymoney.com. Because when you go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney, you know what you find, Mary? What's that? You will find that those financial products you use every day, they're nowhere near best in class if they're at a brick and mortar bank. Over 92% of the savings accounts, checking accounts, credit cards, student loan refinance, loan refinance opportunities are available online and all ranked at magnifymoney.com. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney for more. And today we're going to help JC magnify his money. Say hi, JC. Hey, Joe and OG. JC Fowler here. Wasn't really a fan at first, but got to admit, you guys kind of hooked me. So far, I've learned that I don't learn anything from your show. So my question is, my fiance and I will be getting married August 3rd of this year 2019 and we've saved up a considerable amount of money around thirty thousand dollars and we're not really sure we're going to be at after the wedding 
give or take a couple grand. But my question is, we want to start saving for retirement. I'm 27. She's 23. She's going to start contributing. But I have this feeling that I want to play a little bit of catch up. So I know that some of the money we have saved up will be allocated to an emergency fund. Some of the money we have saved up will kind of be for a house that we're going to buy, but we're not in any rush to get a house. We're going to be moving in with my father. So I'm really just wondering, am I out of my mind to fully fund uh, Roth and pre-tax retirement plans, even though we only make $42,000 and $51,000 respectively? Or would it be a good idea to kind of pad that up so I can have, I can have time work for me? All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the question, JC. And I love it. He didn't like us at first and we hooked him. Oh, gee, that's our goal is just uh, slowly get people hooked on the product. It's all about just... <laughs> I, I see what you did there. <laughs> We're like, and, then, and then we'll pivot as soon as as soon as that becomes bad. Then we'll then we'll go to we'll go to other uh, podcasts. We'll like start podcasting about like refinancing your cars or you know leasing instead of buying or something. No, we'll start off making sure that uh, we say over and over podcasts aren't addictive, and then later right. on when we find out that they are, we got to put warning labels up. We'll we will then the uh, Senate subcommittee will say we will no. then. We're not. Yeah, then we'll move over to e-podcasts, where That's we right. just uh, pump the stuff right into your brain, and uh, there you it's go. Like a USB port. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, Mary, let's go to you first. What do you think? Should JC leave his money liquid with all the stuff going on, or should he get a head start on his Roth IRA and such? Uh, well, there's a couple of questions um, that, or I guess scenarios to that. The fact that he has thirty thousand dollars on hand, they're going to be paying for a wedding. The fact that he's getting married, I would take a portion of that money and knock out the debt, uh, whatever's potentially left from that. The fact that they will be staying with her father-in-law, they won't have any immediate uh, rent to pay in a big amount, I'm sure. Um, So then I would take advantage of the retirement accounts because um, they're 27 and 23. So you have a compound interest definitely on your side. And then you can begin to save for the house. So if you do it in that order, I think it'll be more beneficial because you'll be have a happier marriage because you won't have debt. <laughs> and um, two, um, you'll be able to get a head start and take advantage of compound interest. I think uh, Einstein said compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. So take advantage of that. And then lastly, go ahead and start saving for your house. Yeah. Uh, OG, I see you nodding your head. Yeah. No, I like that a lot. It's been a long time since I got married. So so $30,000 seems like a boatload of money to get married these days. But, uh, you know, maybe that's about what it is. Uh, hopefully you end up with some of that left over. It sounds like that's kind of the plan. But I think now's a really great time to take stock of the fact that you're going from one income to two and and your expenses are also not going to double. You know, obviously both of you need to eat and both of you need car insurance perhaps or, you know, whatever. But there's other things that won't double. An example, you know, you're going to consume the same amount of air conditioning, whether you got one person in the house or three. So it'll probably be saving some money in that regard. So as best as you're able to figure out a way to live on one of those incomes or one plus a little bit of the next gives you so much flexibility. And we were talking about that earlier about how having the flexibility in the future really matters. And it will matter if you decide to start a family. It'll matter if you decide to move across the country. It'll matter if you decide to pack up all your stuff and move to 
Panama or Hong Kong or whatever the case may be. Those are all really, really fun things to do and sometimes important to do for your career and for your job. But you can only do that if you've done the right thing with money up to that point. So I really like the idea of dumping tons of money toward uh, future things, retirement, uh, uh, your 401k, your Roth IRA, that sort of stuff is a great place for that. And if you ever needed it, you know, you got some flexibility there. But but uh, then backfilling the other things like the housing and that sort of stuff, once all of those other things are are squared away, uh, makes me happier. Paula, anything to add? I, I always have uh, you go before OG and he always complains about it. So I thought I'd let him go before you one time. <laughs> Oh, no, I, I mean, I think that that is a fantastic suggestion, right? Like, absolutely. Two people can live for certainly less than the cost of two people separately and individually. So it's possible that you might be able to have your cake and eat it, too. If you manage that transition well, then you might see your savings rate increase after the marriage or after the combining of finances. At that point, you would be able to fund your retirement accounts and also save for liquid things. But the other thing I would say is for right now, at least I would steer a little bit more money towards liquid or accessible accounts so that that way you can have some cash to be able to get you through all of the transitions. But I think we all agree then with Mary's suggestion, knock out the debt though, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I would split up the money, you know, put a piece of it towards debt, put a piece of it towards retirement, and then keep a piece of it as cash for all of the various transitions that are about to come up in your life. Ah, you wouldn't wait until after the wedding for the retirement and start it with No, no, debt? I, I, w- I would not wait until after the wedding. I think that retirement, saving for retirement is something that a person should be doing consistently and should not be put on pause regardless of what else is coming up. That's interesting. So now you have three slightly different suggestions. JC, thanks for the call. If you've got a call, head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash voicemail, and uh, we will answer your question as well. That's going to do it for today, everybody. We're going to let our guest have the last word here again. So, uh, OG, what do you got coming up this fine first weekend in June? Oh, it's summertime in the city. So uh, summer, summer, summer. Nothing is on the agenda. Probably hanging out by the pool, having fun with the kids, getting ready to uh, play a little golf later this month. But um, June is uh, very much family time. After nine months of school and all that sort of stuff, we just like to take a whole bunch of free days, maybe go to the beach, that sort of stuff. So That's fantastic. We're chilling. I'm I'm headed to my nephew Colin's graduation, high school graduation time. Paula, what about you? What's happening over there at Afford Anything? So I just came back from a trip to Seattle and Portland. That's where I went over Memorial Day. And I will be going on a camping trip here in Nevada uh, this first weekend of June. And then after that, I'm going to Atlanta, middle of June. So a lot of travel around this time of year. Holy cow, that's nice. Any uh, guests you can talk about on the show? Ah, on that crazy Afford Anything podcast. A couple of weeks ago, we had Ruth Sukup on the show, and she talked about the seven faces of fear and coming up we have wendy mays who talks about starting over at the age of 40 with six kids her story is incredible she has a a lot of student debt about three hundred thousand dollars worth of student Mm. debt between herself and her husband and six kids and so she talks about how she is navigating and managing all of that so all of that is on the afford anything podcast I love stories where people have to juggle multiple responsibilities, goals, things like that. 
Absolutely. Good stuff. Mary, thanks so much for coming and hanging out with us for saving the show. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate you guys for having me. Well, at any time. So tell us what is happening at the podcast. Yeah. So on the podcast, I have some really great guests coming up. I'm not going to do any, um, I guess, previews because uh, I just want to cross my fingers and make sure I get it uploaded. But <laughs> um, some really great guests coming up talking about uh, women and money um, is one of my favorite topics coming up soon. So download that K-N-O-W debt in all problem. No debt, no problem. And if you're walking the dog or on your commute, we'll link to Mary's podcast, No Debt, No Problem, on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. That will do it for today. So, Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what did we what did we learn today? Oh, you want me to you want me to tell them? Oh, okay, okay. So what did we learn today? First, take some advice from our roundtable group. Thinking about quitting your job? Think first about your overall career and opportunities for advancement. Then have another job ahead of time lined up before quitting. And you could end up supersizing your income or just your life skills in no time. Second, worried about maxing out your retirement funds? Do it. But remember that you'll need some short-term money for uh, emergencies and stuff like that. You don't want to have to break your IRA to get to the money, and you also don't want to borrow from your 401k plan at work. But the big lesson? Don't call Joe's mom a macaroon, because that's going to make her think about macarena. And, oh, 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 heck to heck with it. Hey, hey, macarena. Let's all do the macarena. Why not? It's Friday, everybody. Oh, hey, macarena. Special thanks to Mary Wheeler for joining us. You'll find Mary's podcast, No Debt, No Problem, wherever you're listening to us right now. Thanks also to Simeon Hyman from ProShares for stopping by to talk to us about their new Pet Care Exchange Traded Fund. You'll find it trading under ticker symbol PAUSE with a Z. Of course, PAUSE with a Z. That's how you spell it. P-A-W-Z. Hall of Pants appears courtesy of AffordAnything.com and the Afford Anything Podcast. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I really thought doing these credits completely naked would have been a lot more fun than it actually was. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Okay, I've sat here trying to think of something pleasant to say after that, and I can't.
Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist, Mary. What happens here stays here. We don't talk about it. It's funny. We had a a longtime listener from uh, Green Path Financial, Dusty. Hi, Dusty, because I know Dusty's listening. Dusty told me last week that she's been listening for a long, long time and didn't know there was an after show until I accidentally, OG, mentioned it. When I mentioned it, she goes, when did you do that? I was talking to her and another guy that works at Green Path. And um, I mentioned something about the after show because he was joking about some joke we had here. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what are you guys talking about? And so then he told her and she's been listening, I think, for well over a year and never knew. It's okay if it's a personal one to one communication. It's the public dissemination of it. Yes. You know, if you tell your buddy or your friend, okay, it's fine. Yes. Well, you can't put it on the internet. No. Keep no. it on the low. Yes. So initially we were going to talk about something because June is generally the first part of summer. I was wondering about summer plants, but that's kind of lame compared to what we were talking about early, which are crappy jobs that you had in the mm. early days. And I would love to hear some dirt. Like when Mary talked about being a shoe salesman, I can just imagine some of the smelly feet mm. that you had to sit in front of. While you were selling shoes, were there smelly feet? I think feet? it was the toenails, actually, that were a little bit mm-hmm. more creepier than not. I'm, um, I'm getting off, guys. This is, this is terrible. <laughs> I can't listen to this stuff. Yeah, I think it was it, that oh, toenails were the worst part of it all. You know, trying to sell some smell good along with the shoes is kind of a hard pitch. <laughs> but uh, whatever works. That's horrible. Was that the worst job you had? Uh, no, I would say the worst job I had was making sandwiches. Actually, I hated that job. It was a uh, a restaurant job and like my back hurt every time that I left uh, from hunching over, like making sandwiches and people would always call in and I would end up being the only cook and it was just horrible. Mm. But And I was working a job along with working at the shoe store. So I would like make sandwiches and then go around the corner and sell shoes. So definitely juggling. I'm like, wait a second. Didn't you just make my sandwich? <laughs> You're like, yes. And I noticed I noticed your size 10. Try these on. <laughs> exactly. So, mm-hmm. have, have the worst of speaking of speaking of sandwiches, Mary. Have you ever heard this? This is comedian. Uh, this is comedian Jim Gaffigan. Subway. That was a bit of a disappointment. Subway, right? You're like, hey, Subway, eat fresh, and then you bite in. You're like, not so fresh. <laughs> <laughs> not fresh at all. <laughs> Even if you haven't been to Subway, you probably walked by and breathed in that bread exhaust they pump out. You're like, Ah, the smell of bread that was just baked in a dirty dishwasher. I don't know if it's making me hungry or concerned for the ozone. (laughs) Yeah, I think they had, speaking of Subway, they said that they put something, the same stuff that they used to make yoga mats in the bread at one time. I don't know if you guys heard that. Mm -hmm. It's delicious. uh, It's ridiculous. Oh, that's that's so bad. Mm -hmm. Paula, you must have had a bad job. Wow. So yeah, I've had, so one job, it was actually a lot of fun, but it was tough was that I was a mascot in South Carolina during the summer. So I put on this, uh, it was for this restaurant called the salty dog cafe. And I was the salty wait, dog. Wait, wait a minute. The, the salty dog on, 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 on Hilton Hilton Head? were you really, I was the salty dog. That is like my favorite place to hang out at Hilton Head. Oh, it's great. Yes. It's such a great spot. Yeah. I, I was the dog. We were, so. we, we were lucky enough. We were lucky enough to go there because Cheryl had a conference there 
And, uh, you know, I'd never been and we get down there and, and it was, I mean, it was nice. And you go to the salty dog and you're like, I could hang out on this, on this patio, this deck all summer long. Absolutely. It's a beautiful setting. Hilton Head Island is gorgeous. And that area where the, that restaurant is, is beautiful. So that was what was cool about it. Everybody's in a good mood, great place to go to work, but definitely you're, you're in a mascot costume, like you're dressed as a giant dog and it's South Carolina in the summertime. So it's pretty hot. We're going to call Paula the salty dog from now on. Now that we know <laughs> that is so good. Anybody, any kids like come up to you and hit you or anything? Oh, no, no. The kids were great. I'd high five them and dance around with them. And, you know, the restaurant was great, too, in that they would give me as much opportunity for breaks as I wanted. You know, they didn't try to guide my breaks because the last thing that they wanted was for the salty dog to pass out. (laughs) That would be a huge PR nightmare. (laughs) And so they told me anytime you want to take a break, just go to the walk in freezer. And so about every 15 minutes, I'd go to the walk in freezer. I'd take my head off. You know, and then I would just sit in the walk-in freezer for five minutes or so and then put the head back on and then go back out there. I was at a uh, KOA campground, Jellystone KOA near Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. A guy walked up to me and asked me if I wanted to play Yogi Bear on the hayride. And so I got to put on this Yogi Bear costume and walked out. And they told me not to talk because you'd never do the Yogi Bear voice. Hey there, boo boo. You'd never be able to do it. So I just smiled and waved and I get on the, get on the hayride. And by the way, they, they put these ice. Did you have ice belts when you did that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I had a, I had my entire torso was just strapped with like this giant thing of ice. And then I had another ice pack around my head as well. And I thought that was way too much ice. It wasn't anywhere near enough ice. Like, yeah. <laughs> no exactly. brain freeze. No, it would, man, you go out in the heat and it was just all of a sudden it was hot water around me, (laughs) (laughs) but I got on this thing and they're singing old McDonald or something and I'm clapping my hands and all of a sudden my head whips straight down (laughs) and I can't figure out why. And it, and the, the pressure lets up and I look and there's this guy sitting next to me and, and he's laughing and I can't figure out what's going on. And I look at the guy who's my handler who works at the campground, like what's, you know, but I'm in the suit and I don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden my head jerks down again to the right. There's this little kid, maybe six years old, who thinks it's really funny to pull my tie as hard as he can. And he just keeps yanking me. Oh my goodness. So thank goodness there's no YouTube because had it been a little bit longer, there would have been this YouTube video of went viral. Yeah, yeah, Yogi Bear right. beating the hell out of a six-year-old. <laughs> Yogi, Bear, Yogi Bear goes viral. Yeah, but that wasn't a job. I did that one for fun until it became no fun. But y- you had to have a bad job, OG. Well, the dishwashing job was really bad because I was a high school athlete. So the only time I could work is after games or after practice. So it ended up being like, you know, Saturday morning, Thursday night, you know, that kind of prime dishwashing time. (laughs) So that sucked. And then, of course, during the summertime, there was no such thing as air conditioning, apparently back there. Um, I also sold shoes, as a matter of fact, also on commission, as a matter of fact, at the wonderful Gander Mountain back in the day. Um, But that's where I met my wife, so I can't really complain. She wasn't working there. She was a friend of a friend. But um, that wasn't bad, actually, because we got a lot of discounts on, like, gear. Trying on shoes? No, no, no. That's no, what no, I was just, wondering. I was wondering no, if this Mary was like a Cinderella moment. Th- no, I'm definitely not that suave. <laughs> Mrs. OG would tell you the uh, story 
it involved a, a lot of nudging from her friend who was my work colleague. And even after I met her, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> she was so hot. And I was just, she's so out of my league. That was the problem. I was like, yeah, this, you know, not going to happen. But, um, see anyway, you and sh- then she called me as a matter of fact, you should have so, made yeah. up a story where she like put her foot out and you put that and hiking boot she had on really her. long toenails. And I tolerated with the, <laughs> I tolerated the smell. <laughs> like, uh, oh, you've been through hiking the Appalachian Trail? I can tell. Boy, here you go. These are new Vasque boots. You're going to love them. Will you date me? No. What are you doing tomorrow? Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric who is such a giving person, Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website. Resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.